And today, we're going to wrap up our series in the book of Colossians that we titled Rooted in Christ. And if you've been with us through this series, we, you know we have walked line by line and verse by verse through this text in Colossians to this letter that Paul is writing, the Colossian church. And if you're, if you're brand new today, let, let me give you just a quick recap of, of what's happening in this, in this letter to the Colossians. Paul is, is writing this letter to the church in Colossae because false teachers have, have risen up in this church and are teaching against the gospel of Jesus. And in this letter, Paul is defending that gospel, what, it calls, what he calls the true gospel of Jesus. And he's telling the people in the Colossian church, they must be rooted in Christ because of who Jesus is. At first, he states that Jesus is preeminent. Early in, in chapter 1, he states that Jesus is preeminent. He's the, the one true God, right? All things were made through him, by him, and for him. And then he, he defends the validity of the gospel, of the one and only true gospel, that faith alone in Jesus alone is the only thing that can justify us, right? It's the only thing that can save us from the eternal death that we deserve. And then about midway through this letter, Paul switches directions and he begins telling the, the church in Colossae how they are supposed to live now that they are rooted in Christ, like what it physically looks like to live a life rooted in Jesus, how we are to walk as a new creation in Jesus. And Paul describes what following Jesus looks like. And as we walk in Jesus, how that should affect our lives at home with our families, right? How we, how we treat and lead our children and our, and our spouses. And last week, we discussed how we carry ourselves as Christ followers in the workplace, right? How being a new creation in Jesus affects the way that we behave and work. And as we concluded last week, we saw Paul kept coming back to this same command that he had given us early in Colossians chapter 3, and it was Colossians 3.17. And as you left last week, I said, memorize this verse. This is a key verse. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And again, when, I, when we gathered last week, I said, take this verse home, right? Take it to the bank, memorize it. Sear it into your heart, sear it into your minds this week. This is not only one of the most impactful verses in this letter to the church in Colossian, or to the Colossian church, it is one of the most impactful verses to living for Christ in God's word. This is a command on how to truly live as a follower of Jesus. The Colossians 3.17 states that in everything you do, do it with the intention of glorifying Jesus. In our personal and public lives, in all things we do, we should do it with the intent of glorifying Jesus. The way we lead and care for our families, we do in glory to Jesus. The way we work our jobs, we strive to glorify Jesus through our work. And as we move into our text today, in Colossians chapter 4, Paul is going to go right back to this verse in 3.17. He's going to specifically talk about the words that come out of our mouth as Christ followers, how we speak. And so today, Paul's going to show us this. As a people rooted in Christ, the gospel must influence the way that we speak. 
right? As we look at, at this verse in Colossians 3.17, when he says, whatever you do in word or deed, Paul's going to really hone in on that word, word. Right? Whatever you do in word or deed, Paul is going to hit directly that text when, it, when, he, when the Bible says word. In fact, as we look at the Greek translation of this word, word, that's a tongue twister, word, in Colossians 3.17, this word is the word logos. And defined in this case, the word logos means of speech or something said. So the gospel of Jesus should influence the way that we speak. And, and the things that come out of our mouths should bring glory to Jesus. So let's see what Paul has to say today. Colossians 4, um, verses 2 through 6. Um, let's dive right in the text. You all ready? Say amen. All right, let's go. Verse, uh, verse 2, Paul says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so today, as we come out of that text, Paul's going to show us three ways we are to speak as a people rooted in Jesus. Then the first way is this. When it comes to our speech, the gospel motivates us to pray unceasingly. Verse 2 again, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The first thing Paul tells us to do with our mouths here is to pray unceasingly. He says it first because it's vitally important. Right? He says, first, pray unceasingly. The first way to use your mouth is to pray unceasingly. He says here to continue steadfast in prayer. And this word steadfastly translated means to be constantly diligent. Right? Diligence meaning be persistent, be unceasing. Any, anybody in here a super diligent person? Show of hands. Not, no one? Okay. Well, yeah. My wife's in the front row. My kids are diligent. Okay, let me tell you. Kids are diligent. The most, the most diligent, persistent creation in the world is a child. Okay, kids are some of the most diligent people in the world. My five-year-old daughter the other night asked me if she could have a snack about 10 minutes after we finished dinner. And I was like, no. Like, we just finished dinner. You can't snack. Maybe later. And I'm telling y'all, she came up to me every 10 minutes for the next two hours and asked me, can I have a snack now? Can I have a snack now? Can I have a snack now? And finally, after like three hours, I broke. I was like, take this box of raisins and go. All right, like I'm, I'm out. The kids are fun. But they're persistent little things. All right, well, that's how Paul tells us to pray. He tells us to pray unceasingly, persistent, diligently, steadfastly. In fact, Jesus himself tells a story or what's called a parable in the gospel of Luke that's very similar to the one that I just told you about my daughter. Uh, we'll have it up on the screen here, but read with me. Uh, Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, Jesus says this. It says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray, to pray and not lose heart. 
He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused, the judge refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give you justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Jesus says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So here, Jesus is telling this story of a widow woman who is badgering a judge to bring justice to her case. And this judge, who the Bible tells us is, is ungodly and unfriendly to man, is finally like, I'm just going to give in to this woman. Like, she will not leave me alone. I'm just going to give in to her, so she'll leave me alone. Jesus tells us in this text, in this parable, if the sinful, ungodly man honors persistence, how much more will our preeminent, holy, loving Father honor it? How much more will, will the, the God who created you honor your persistence? Paul isn't telling us here to only pray when we desire something. He isn't telling us to only pray when, when things aren't going well. And above all things, he isn't telling us to throw up one prayer for every single thing that you desire and throw it off the ceiling and just hope it lands. Right, Paul is telling us to pray unceasingly and diligently. Right, that's how we're being called by God's word to pray today. That's the, the first call of how to use our mouth as Christ followers is to pray unceasingly. And as we look at this, uh, what true prayer looks like, I, I, in my studies this week on this text, I found a, a John MacArthur quote that just, he said it perfectly. So I'm just going to quote John here. He said this perfectly on what true prayer looks like. He says this, MacArthur says, true prayer often involves struggling and grappling with God, proving to him the deepest concern of one's heart. Prayer is to be a persistent, courageous struggle from which the believer may come away limping. Such prayer gives the believer a holy boldness to pray forcefully when convinced of God's will. He goes on to say, there is a tension between boldness and waiting on God's will. That tension is resolved by being persistent, yet accepting God's answer when it finally comes. And that is why the next thing Paul tells us is to be watchful in our unceasing prayer. If we look again in verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. He's saying, keep praying and keep an eye out for God to be working in your prayers. Right, don't stop praying and keep a watchful eye of God working through your prayer life. If we trust in Jesus and we trust in his word, and his word says that we, he will respond to our prayer, that he's a faithful God that responds to our prayer. As followers of Jesus, we are to remain watchful for the answers to our prayers coming from the Lord. And let me ask you this, church, as you sit in your seat today, just ponder this, like, like how is your prayer life? Right, how is your one-on-one your -on -one prayer life with the Lord? Right, do you speak to God? Do you take intentional time out of your day to, 
to talk to God. Because the Bible tells us how vitally important prayer is to your walk with Jesus. Right? We speak to God through prayer, and he responds to us in his actions and through his word. It's vitally important in your relationship with God. It's not, it's not a relationship with a mystical being. He's a living God that you can speak to. It is vitally important to have a strong daily prayer life with the Lord. It strengthens your relationship with Jesus. And when you've been praying unceasingly about something and Jesus answers you with his will, you will see how great and fulfilling and free a life in dependence on Jesus can be. Right? A life dependent on prayer to Jesus and awaiting his answers. Because then you are not leading your own life, Christ is. Right? The God who created all things, right? His resume is way better than yours when it comes to leading your own life, right? Being dependent on Jesus, living a life dependent on Christ, there's freedom in that. And you can see that as you pray unceasingly, being watchful for God to respond to you with his will. And Paul says when when that happens, when the Lord responds to your steadfast prayer, He tells us how we're supposed to respond. Again, verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He says, so when when God responds to your prayer, be thankful, right? Say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for being a faithful God, for faithfully answering my prayers. And we thank him by worshiping him. Like, that's what we did this morning, first thing. As Brad led us this morning, had a time where we just thanked Jesus for for all the answered prayers he's given us, whether they were yes or no, we just thanked him for that. We thank him by worshiping him and glorifying him because he's a faithful God to answer our prayers. The the same God who created the universe is faithful enough to answer your individual prayers. And we worship him for that. We worship him because he is that God. And this is how we are called to pray. As a people rooted in Jesus, we must pray unceasingly to him. And when he answers, we must give him all the glory. All the glory for what's happening in our lives, for the answer to our prayers must go straight to Jesus. And so now, as we come out of this, this first verse, Paul has just described the first action of our mouths, and that is to pray unceasingly. But as he continues in the text, the command moves from how we speak to God to how we speak with others. Read with me in verses three through four. Paul says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So the second command we are given here uh, this morning as we look at this text as a people rooted in Christ, is that when it comes to our speech, the gospel should motivate us to proclaim clearly. The gospel should motivate us to proclaim clearly. Here we see Paul asking the Colossian church to pray also for us. And when he says us, he's referring to those who are around him who are out spreading the gospel of Jesus. So he says, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Now this this open door that Paul is 
is talking about is, is a request to God for opportunities to preach the gospel of Jesus. So Paul's saying, hey, pray that God opens so many doors for us to go in and share the gospel of Jesus so we can proclaim him as Lord. So he's asking the people to pray that God opens those doors. But Paul goes on to say, after he says that, it is from preaching the gospel through these opportunities that God has provided that he's imprisoned. As we spoke about earlier in this text, earlier in the letter, we learned that Paul, is, as he's writing this letter to the church in Colossae, he's in prison in Rome. Think about that for a minute. Think about what Paul's saying here right now. This man is in prison for preaching the good news of Jesus. He's penning a letter to a church in Colossae, asking him to pray that he can go out and do it again. Right? He isn't asking him to pray for his comfort in prison, that he gets fed more, or maybe gets more water, or even praying for his own release. He's just praying that he has an opportunity to continue to preach the gospel. Instead of asking others to pray for his release, he is asking others to pray for more opportunities to do exactly what he got thrown in jail for. I mean, this guy is a diehard disciple, man. Like, this guy's next level. Y'all, Paul is a next level guy. He's in prison like, I'm a repeat offender. Like, he's, he's, you know, rubbing elbows with the guard. He's like, if y'all let me out, I'm just going to come. I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing. I'm, I'm just going to go back to preaching the gospel, keep my seat warm, I might be back. I mean, he's, he, he, he's a next level guy. And this has got to be us, church. Like, we have to mimic this. This radical view that Paul has that he will proclaim the gospel no matter what, and that he's praying and he's asking others for the prayer to have God open doors to continue this work. We have to mimic this. The gospel has to motivate us to proclaim Jesus. It has to motivate our mouths to witness for Christ. This gospel that, that Jesus was beaten and hung on a cross and died as payment for our sins, sins he was innocent of, that, that we were guilty of, that he took on the cross, and he was buried, and on the third day he was raised to defeat sin and defeat death so that we could live eternally with and through him. This, this gospel message that, that Jesus is our rescuer. This gospel message must motivate our mouths to proclaim him whenever we have the opportunity. Right, wherever our, our feet are standing at the time, the gospel has to motivate us to move our lips to proclaim Jesus. As a church, we are constantly in prayer that the Lord provides us with opportunities to proclaim Jesus as, as King, as Lord. But this should be a part of your own personal life. Like as a disciple of Jesus, we should be asking him daily for the boldness and the opportunity to proclaim him wherever our feet are standing. All right, witnessing for Jesus, like proclaiming Jesus as Lord, telling people your testimony, how Jesus radically transformed you. His love on the cross radically transformed your heart. It's part of being a follower of Jesus. It's a part, as we talked about living that 4W life, that, that witness W, it's a part of being a disciple. Paul tells us that if you have if you've been made new by the gospel, 
then you're an ambassador for the gospel, right? It's, you've been charged to go out and speak the gospel of Jesus. And it is the gospel that motivates us to speak it. It's the gospel that moves us to do this work, to use our speech in this way. And that's the second thing that Paul has told us about how to use our mouths as a person rooted in Christ, is to proclaim him. In verse 4, he says, when he declares the mystery of Christ, that he makes it clear. That word clear, in some of your Bible translations, it might say the word manifest. Manifest meaning to make known or to clearly reveal. So Paul is asking the Colossian church that they pray that he proclaims the gospel clearly as he ought to speak. Right, that he's clear in his message as he makes it known that it's a clear message. In Ephesians 6, Paul says that he desires to share the gospel boldly as he ought to speak. Again, Paul is showing us as a people rooted in Jesus, we are to use our speech to clearly and boldly proclaim Jesus to others. And he's hammering this point home hard. We must proclaim clearly the gospel of Jesus. And that's the second thing Paul is telling us this morning to do with our mouths, to do with our speech. And as Paul rounds out, I'm sorry, his final instruction to the Colossian church, the last command he, he gives is pertaining to how people rooted in Christ are to communicate with others in the world. Read with me in verse 5 through 6. Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So here Paul makes two statements. The first is, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Well, what's that mean? It has nothing to do with our speech, right? I thought this was all about how we speak. Well, the, the way a person carries themselves will give a lot of validity to what comes out of their mouth. Amen? As a follower of Jesus, again, we are called to, to worship, walk, work, and witness with and for Jesus. And if people on the outside don't see us physically living this life, our words will carry no weight as we try to disciple them. Right? If, if, if I'm trying to disciple someone and I'm not living a life as a disciple, my words will carry no weight with them. When we speak to them about a life free in Jesus, what a transformed life, a transformed heart looks like in Christ, they won't know because they're not seeing us living this life. When we walk in wisdom, abiding in Jesus, abiding in his word, words, it will be seen and noticed by others and people will know that this isn't just lip service. Like we're living this life. And we've been truly transformed. We're, we're walking day in and day out with Christ. And they'll know this because they're seeing us live this life. And any opportunity, Paul says here, any opportunity we have with a non-believer is vital. Any opportunity we have to share our life, to share our faith with a non-believer is, is crucial. And he says, in order to make the best of this time, our words about Jesus must carry weight. Right? We might only have one opportunity to share the gospel with someone. And if this person hasn't watched us walk with Jesus, seen us transformed from the old person who is now dead to the new who is risen in Christ, we might never get the opportunity again to show them that that's the state of our heart. 
Our words about Jesus must carry weight that it's only obtained through walking with him in wisdom when we're speaking to a new believer or someone who doesn't follow Jesus. And when we, when we live a life consistently abiding in Jesus, Paul says it will affect the way we communicate with others. So we have to walk the walk before we can talk the talk. And Paul shows us when we walk the walk, it will influence how we talk. Look with me again in verse 6. He says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Plainly here, Paul's commanding us to communicate graciously always. He says, communicate graciously always. Now let me ask you all, do you always communicate with others graciously? Anybody in here just like 100% always communicating with others graciously? Same here, right? If any of us are in here saying, yeah, like mostly I communicate graciously with, with people, you know, always. Let someone mess up your Burger King order while you got four screaming kids in the car after this. Not a lot of gracious words coming out of your mouth then. It's true. It's funny, but it's true. Right? We don't always communicate graciously, but that's what Paul is calling us to do here. To always, when we're talking to people on the outside world, to communicate with them graciously. And remember that all these commands Paul is giving us started with that one foundational command, this one central command in Colossians 3.17, which is, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, you're going to get tired of hearing this. We have to engrave that in our hearts today. Right? That has to be written on us today. No matter what's going on, no matter if you're being wronged or accused at work or persecuted or no matter what, no matter what's happening, we must always communicate graciously because whatever we do in word, we do in the name of Jesus. Right? Whatever we do, there's no excuse to not communicate graciously because whatever we're doing, whatever we're saying, Whatever's leaving our mouth must be done in glory to Jesus. That'll put a filter between brain and mouth for us, right? If we, if we live a life where we're just like, I want to say this, but is this glorifying to God? Like, does this glorify Jesus? The things that I want to spew from my lips, are they glorifying to Jesus? That's what we have to, to write on our hearts this week, this morning, when we are walking in wisdom, we will know how to respond to people who wrong us or even question our faith. We are to speak graciously to them. The Bible tells us we are to speak graciously to them. And as we round out our time together this morning, as we, as we finish up uh, this morning, and as we end our series in the book of Colossians, we need to, to take one thing with us from this letter. If you've been with us from the beginning in chapter 1 all the way to now as we end the series, there's one thing we have to, to take home with us today. As a people rooted in Christ, our number one priority in everything we say and everything we do is to bring glory to Jesus. Right? This much be, must be our heart's intention as we walk through life. As we walk through a life following Jesus, abiding in Jesus, walking with him, this has to be always in our brain and on our hearts. Our number one priority in everything we say and do 
it must bring glory to Jesus. How we walk in the world, how we interact with our wife and our children or our parents or our grandparents, the way that we work at work, the, de- the desire and the, the drive to work and succeed, the way that we speak to believers and non-believers, all of these things we must do in glory to Jesus. Everything we say and do, we must do to glorify the Lord. And so today I want you to just take that home with you today. No matter what the circumstance you're in, no matter what, what life season you're in, no matter what's happening, if you're being persecuted, if things are going bad at work, things are going bad at home. Maybe you're just trying to find this, this, this direction, like how do I start following Jesus today? Like I can't change a lot of other things today, but what can I do to start following Jesus today? In everything you do, in every word that leaves your lips, your focus has got to be to glorify the Lord. Let's pray for that now. Father, we love you, Jesus. Lord, we, um, as a church, God, we just come to you in prayer, Lord, that you would you would lead our hearts this week towards this verse in Colossians 3.17, God, that, that before we speak, before we take action on anything, we, we, just, we hear this verse from your word just in our ears, God, that that whatever we're going to do or whatever we're going to say, are we doing it in, in, to, in glory to you? Are we doing it with the intention to glorify you? And so, Lord, I pray that, that for everybody in here this week, Lord, that that is put on their hearts, that it's ingrained in them, God, that when they speak to others outside of this building, that when they speak to their families, when, they, when they're in conversations, with the Lord when they're praying to him, Lord, that in everything we're doing, we're doing to glorify him. Father, may us all have this weight on our heart to pray to you unceasingly about everything that's happening in our lives. And Lord, you are a a faithful God that you would answer our prayers. Though we are, are sinful, though we sin against you, God, you still died on the cross for us. You still loved us and you still are faithful enough to answer our prayers with your will. And so, Father, that's what we pray. And everybody in every single seat in this room right now, if they're praying about something, Father, I pray that you push them to pray unceasingly to you. And, Father, I pray that they get an answer of your will and only your will. Lord, as we pray this week and as we walk this week, I pray that you would, you would motivate us to proclaim you, Jesus. Right, the, the one job you've given us is to be your ambassador, Father, that, that we are to go out and and spread the gospel, your good news, that you died on the cross for us, and that there can be eternal life in, with faith in you. Father, I just pray that you would, you would lead us all there, that you would embolden our people here, that you would give them a boldness and, and zero fear when it comes to sharing your gospel, zero shame when it comes to sharing your gospel. And Lord, I pray for opportunities. As Paul says, that you would open doors for us, that we could, we could just speak the word into people who do not know you, people who are lost and broken, people who are against you, God, that they would, they would open their ears and you would open their hearts so they could hear the true gospel, they could hear what you did for them, what your love did for them, what your sacrifice did for them, that they could come to you, Jesus, and lay down everything, lay down their lives and follow you. Father, I pray that you embolden us to do that work. I pray that you give us the opportunities to do it. And I pray that we see people saved here in Decatur County. 
Father, we, we love you. We are here to worship you no matter what happens, no matter the answer, yes or no, to a prayer. Anything that happens in this building, outside of this building, in this county, for your good, we give all the glory to you, Father. Glory, glory, glory to you, God Almighty. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, you are loved. You are sent. Have a great week.